Amen, amen. Thank you, Michael. Thank you all so much again for being here. Uh, it is uh, the beginning of spring break here in East Cobb, and so it's one of those Sundays you go, okay, Lord, we're going to trust you that people are going to show up, and, and y'all showed up. And I'm so glad to see you. It's so such an honor to be able to share God's word with you each and every Sunday. Uh, last week, we wrapped up a five-week series on prayer. We were asking in that series, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Just like the disciples asked, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And I said throughout that series that, that the only way Jesus can, can teach you how to pray is if you let him and if you put into practice what he teaches. Right? And that's why we gave you tools each week throughout the series to help you apply what we talked about each week. You can find those on the, uh, some of those on the table on your way out. So grab them if you weren't here one Sunday. Then go home and then this week watch or listen to those uh, sermons. Um, the, the series on prayer, it was, it was born out of the Lord impressing on me the power that is found in Matthew chapter 6. In fact, that's where we're going to begin today. So if you have your Bible or your phone, go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 6. Listen, don't just listen to me read the scripture. I want you to go there for yourself. You, you have your phone. You have a Bible. Go there. I want you to learn how to, how to find these passages. I want you to dig into God's word. But one day, several weeks ago, the Lord just opened my eyes. Have you ever had one of those God moments, right? You've been reading the same verse for like 20 years, and then and then one day it just seems like it's the very first time you've ever read it. Have you ever been there, right? I had one of those moments with Matthew chapter 6, and I just broke down and cried. Like, I mean, ugly snot crying, right? And I remember uh, just the Lord just breaking me over Matthew 6. And maybe you remember several weeks ago me telling you about this, and I shared a prophecy that I believe the Lord gave me, this prophecy that, that we are going to see marriages healed. We are going to see relationships restored. We're going to see chains of addiction broken. We are going to see lives in East Cobb set on fire by the Holy Spirit. This was all tied. Someone say amen. Amen. This was all tied to God revealing the profound truth and the profound teaching found in Matthew 6. See, church, we are not going to be just another civic organization. We are not going to be a club for the quote-unquote right, quote right people. If that's what you're looking for, then you are in the wrong place. We are, we are not only going to preach about sweet baby little Jesus, but we're going to, we're going to preach why he became sweet little baby Jesus. Right? To save us. To save us from destruction. To save us from our sins. We are going to be a church who acknowledges our sins and seeks the Lord with everything we've got because he alone saves. Right? Nothing else can do that for us. And so God pushed my face deep into Matthew chapter 6. Just, just rubbed it all up in my face. And he said to me very clearly, this is it. This is the key. Now hear me. I'm not talking about some superstitious secret key to unlocking all the secrets of life. I'm not talking about this like it's the secret to getting everything that we want. I want to be very clear about that. And I'm not saying that this chapter 
is the most important chapter in all the Bible. Do you understand this? But what I am saying is Matthew chapter 6 is the gathering church's chapter for 2022. Now, it might be something totally different in 2023. But for this year, our first full year of existence, this is the chapter that God wants us to dive into. This is the chapter he wants to use to define us. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is preaching about three things, teaching about three things. Giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. As I said, we just finished a five-week series all about prayer. And we've shared with you and shown you how, how passionate we are uh, about giving to the needy, right? And by the way, there's more to come in that respect in the future. And if you, if you love to serve people, you, you are going to have that opportunity here at this church. And so if that's you, I want to talk with you. Right? We are looking for people who have been given the gift of service, not only outside these walls, but inside these walls. This is not my sermon, I'll just say it. We need a setup team and a teardown, teardown team. A team that will get here on Sundays and set all of this up. Right now it's me and Zoe. We need a team that will come in, set all this up, and a team that will stay and tear it all down. All right, so if that's you, you want to serve, you have the gift of service, let's talk about it. So we've talked about prayer. We've talked about giving to the needy, which leaves now fasting. Now, I promise you, when I announce that we are going to be a church that gives the needy, most people nod their head. Yep, that's a good church. Right? That's, a, that's what a church should do. Good, 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 good. We like that. I'm on board for that. Let's give to the needy. And then when I mention that we're going to be a praying church, most people are like, yep, prayer, that belongs in a church. That's good. We like that. Let's pray. But then I get to, we're going to be a fasting church. And most people are like, well, two out of three ain't bad. Right? Church, we are going to be a fasting church. That is a fact. Let's just get that out of the way right now. But please know, I understand that the topic of fasting is one of those topics about which multiple views exist within the church. Right? One view is, and maybe this is you today, one view is, what is fasting? Right? You've heard me say we're going to be a fasting church, and you have no clue what I'm talking. I mean, you know the term, but you don't know how it relates to God. So if that's you, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with being in that group. I want you to own it, right? You have no idea what fasting is. You have no clue. Okay, just admit that to yourself. No problem. And then there's a group that believes that fasting isn't that important. I mean, if you want to fast, that's great. Right? But this group thinks it's kind of unneeded. Right? We, we, we have the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. We don't really need to fast. Right? So maybe you're in that group. You, you know some folks who fast, but that's great for them. For you, not so much. Maybe you're in that group. If you are, that's okay. Own it. And then there's the group who are like fasting fanatics. But they have a messed up view of fasting. These are people who believe that fasting bends God's will to our will. Oh, you want that promotion, do you? Well, you just need to fast. You want that raise? You just need to fast. 
You want that girl to go out with you? Oh, you just need to fast, right? It's all about what you want. Now, hear me. I'm not saying that if you want a promotion that fasting and praying about it is wrong. But if you are fasting and praying thinking that the act of fasting and praying means God is beholden to you, you are horribly mistaken. It's not like if we fast and pray, God looks at us and says, well, I wanted to do this thing over here, but since you fasted and prayed, I guess I don't have any choice but to do exactly what you want, that very selfish thing that you want me to do for you. It doesn't work that way. And we're going to get into this in a mo more in a moment, but fasting is not about bending God to our will, but bending ourselves to God's will. But if you're in that camp, Okay, just own it. But because I've been in church my entire life, with my dad over here as a retired pastor, grew up in the church, I think most people in the Western church fall into the first two camps. You either have no idea about fasting, or you don't think it's very important. And so my hope today is that I will present the concept of fasting in a way that makes not only makes it not only understandable, but also makes it highly appealing. Because here's where we're headed, church. Listen up. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. And then April 17th is my favorite Sunday of the year, Easter Sunday. And we call the, the week between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday Holy Week. And so we as a church have decided that we are going to fast for Holy Week. And we are inviting you all to join together and fast for a week as a church. Now, before you get freaked out, I'm going to walk you through fasting today, and then you're going to leave here with a resource that will help you continue learning about fasting all this week. See, my goal is to set you up for success. Because I know you can do this. I know you can do this. With, with his help, we can all fast for one week. Okay, that's all a really long intro. Let's get into God's word. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 with me. This is Jesus speaking. And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That is the only reward they will ever get. The first four words of that verse makes a pretty big assumption. The assumption is that we fast. See, Jesus didn't say, if you fast. Jesus said, when you fast. The assumption is that people were fasting. He then gave instructions on how to fast with the correct intentions. Church, we are called to fast. Now, with that being said, there's another story in the Bible that, if you only read part of it, seems to contradict this idea that Jesus' disciples are meant to fast. So I want to look at it so we have this complete picture of fasting. I don't want anyone to come up to me after church going, well, what about Matthew chapter 9, Jared? So let's look at Matthew chapter 9. Flip over a few chapters of Matthew chapter 9, start in verse 14. It says, one day the disciples of John the Baptist, not the denomination, the baptizer, one day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, 
Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. So no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. So in, this, in these verses, Jesus is not dismissing fasting. Now, it would be easy to think that if you only read part of it, right? That if, that, that, and if that was the only part of the Bible about fasting you ever read, it would be easy to think that, he, that, that the fasting wasn't important. I mean, the disciples of John the Baptizer were literally saying that the disciples of Jesus were not fasting. And Jesus did not reply with surprise. Jesus did not let out like a gasp, clutch his chest, and say, what? Like, and he was not surprised by it. Jesus knew that his disciples were not fasting. And in fact, Jesus gave a very clear reason for their lack of fasting. And it is in Jesus' explanation for why his disciples did not fast that we find our reason to fast. And Jesus' response may seem a bit weird to us today. He's confronted about his disciples not fasting. And, and in response, Jesus starts talking about a wedding. That seems a bit weird, but, it, but we need to understand the reason Jesus uses the analogy of a wedding. Now, for most of us, our wedding ceremony lasted probably like less than an hour, right? Liam, I think our wedding lasted probably less than, I mean, after you showed up three hours late. Uh, it's always fun when you're in the church waiting for your bride to show up and she's three hours late. Now, in her defense, before she gets mad, in her defense, she was coming to the church in an open, like, uh, vintage convertible. The top didn't go up. So it was raining at her house. It was not raining at the church. And this was in Venezuela. So we had no idea what was going on. And, and, and so I'm, I'm at the church with my parents, uh, the bishop of the North Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church. He's there because he's co-officiating. And the entire leadership team of the North Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church is in Venezuela on a mission trip. We're all at the church ready for my wedding. And so there I was, all these folks in the United States looking at me and, and, and going, oh, this poor man stood up on his wedding day. Now, for the first hour, I, I, was, I very strongly rebuked them and rebuked that line of thinking and said, no, my wife is, my, my bride's coming. But after two hours, my vigorous rebuking diminished just a bit. However, Lane did eventually arrive, and I took one look at her. And I wondered how in the world I got the most beautiful woman in the world to marry me. All the other people there looked at her and said, how in the world did this guy get the most beautiful woman in the world to marry him? Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> but anyways, my point is most weddings last about an hour, if not less. And then we go off to the reception, right? Your, your wedding probably lasted about an hour. Your reception probably lasted no more than a couple of hours, right? Most newlyweds I know really just want to get to the honeymoon as soon as possible. But things were different in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, weddings lasted a week. You want to talk about, about a party. Weddings were a big deal. And food and wine were a big part of the celebration. At a wedding, you feasted. 
right? When we think of feasts, we think of Thanksgiving. Our Thanksgiving can't hold a candle to the wedding feast in Jesus' day. We're talking about a feast and all the best stuff. They didn't just buy McDonald's and call it. By the way, do you remember when Clemson won the, the national championship and they're riding to the White House and Donald, uh, President Trump had uh, Wendy's and McDonald's and Burger King and Pizza McDonald's? It was a ton of food, right? From restaurants I like, but it was not a feast. That's not what we're talking about. The wedding feast of Jesus' day would have consisted of the best of the best. Jesus is using the wedding analogy because he sees his church as the bride and himself as the groom. Church, we are the bride of Christ. And so when Jesus walked the earth, he and his bride were together. That's why he asked the question, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? And then he answered his question, of course not. See, the disciples were physically walking with Jesus. He was physically with them. So there was no reason to fast. It was party time. In his presence was feasting time. But Jesus was saying something else as well. Jesus was redefining fasting. Because fasting had, by and large up to that point, been associated with mourning. It was an expression of, of brokenheartedness and, and, and desperation. People would fast if they were broken over their sin or, or if they felt they were in danger. That's why Jesus asked if wedding guests mourn when celebrating with the groom. Jesus is redefining fasting. No longer would it be about mourning. Fasting would then on be defined as feasting with the Lord. That's why I called the sermon hunger for God. We fast, hear this church, we fast in order to feast with the Lord. You see, Jesus then said, but someday, the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus was referring to the fact that one day soon after this conversation, he would return to heaven, be crucified, buried, and then rise again, and then he would go back into heaven, and he would no longer be physically present with us. But one day, the bridegroom would return. And during that time of waiting for his return, his followers will fast. So when is it time to fast? When exactly is Jesus talking about? Arthur Willis, who was a British pastor, wrote in his book, God's Chosen Fast, he wrote, the time is now. The time is now. We are living in that time. Now is the time to fast. And in case you haven't gotten there yet, every moment is now. Now is now. Now is always now. The time to fast is now as we await Jesus' return. But then Jesus starts talking about old and new wineskins. What is that all about? When people in, those, people in those days understood that you didn't put new wine into old wineskins. Why? Because old wineskins had been stretched to the limit. Or it become brittle as wine had, had fermented inside of them. And so using them would risk bursting them. Right? So the old wineskins could not hold the new wine. 
And so in this teaching, Jesus is saying that the fasting that the Jewish people knew, the fasting that was used as part of the Jewish system in order to relate to God, that was old wineskin. And the old wineskin of Judaism could not contain this new wine. Therefore, this new wine demands new fasting. Where the old fasting was built around mourning or desperation, where the old fasting was built around a desperate a need for a Messiah, the new fasting is built around the magnificent truth that the Messiah had come, that God had come near, that God is with us. The salvation poured out on the cross is not some future event, but it is in our past. The blood of the Lamb has been poured out. The Lamb has been slain. The wine is new. Death has been defeated. The bridegroom is risen. The spirit is sent. The wine is new. And the old wineskin cannot contain it. The old wineskin, it cannot hold it. So we don't fast as the Jewish people of the Old Testament fasted. We don't fast out of a sense of penance. We don't fast in hopes that our fasting and our sacrifice will save us. We fast in hopes of joining in the feast that Jesus has prepared for us. Are you seeing the difference, church? Fasting is an invitation to feast with the Lord. I want you to understand that today. Fasting is an invitation to feast with the Lord. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Once you get a taste, you want more. Someone say amen. amen. Once you get a taste of the goodness of God, you want more. Once you get a taste of the love of God, you want more. Now, if you've never tasted the goodness of God, you might be thinking, I don't know if I want a feast. And I'll just say this. You don't know what you're missing. I'll give you a, a real world analogy. Growing up, I had never heard of cachapas. We don't have cachapas in Georgia. You've never heard of cachapas. We don't have them. I had never heard of them, and so obviously I had never had one. And then I started going to Venezuela, and I married into a Venezuelan family. And then I tasted and I saw the gloriousness of cachapas. Cachapas are a thin pancake made out of sweet corn. It's a corn pancake. Folks, you have no idea. I'm telling you right now, if the Bible said marrying food was okay, I'd be married to a cachapa today. I know that sounds weird to most of you, but you have never had a cachapa. Once you taste and see the goodness of a cachapa, there is no going back. You want more. My mother-in-law knows when she makes cachapas, she's got to make extra because this hungry gringo's there and he's going to eat all of them. Right? I love cachapas. I want more cachapas. Give me... God. Okay, this is getting weird. Uh, but you get my point. I hope. The point is... Once you taste and see the goodness of God, you crave more. And church, there is always more to God. I want you to see something the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, Philippians 3, 8 through 12. Paul, if you don't know, is like a rock star Christian. But I love that he says this. He says, what is more? I consider, the, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, the, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now here's this part. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You see, Paul is talking about the more, the more that is available through the person of Jesus Christ. But notice the movement in the passage. He begins with, I consider everything. Someone say everything. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing work of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He then moves to, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. See, fasting is an act of losing in order to gain. Hear me. Fact, uh, fasting is an act of losing in order to gain. Fasting is an act of letting go in order to receive more. Ultimately, fasting is done by those who hunger for God. Fasting is done by those who hunger for more of their God. Fasting is done by those who hunger to hear a fresh word from God. Fasting is done by those who, who hunger to, to receive a new revelation from God. Fasting is done by those who hunger to hear and experience God in the most intimate way possible. Fasting is done by those who want to pour gasoline onto their prayers. Fasting is done by those who want to receive a breakthrough. Fasting is done by those who desire to join their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in a great feast. Amen. Amen. So what does fasting look like exactly? As I said, fasting is an act of losing in order to gain. Fasting is an act of letting go in order to receive more. Fasting, in the Christian sense, is the replacing of the power that something of the world has over us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, for a lot of people, that's going to be food. Do you know what the number one drug people use to deal with the blues in life? It's not alcohol, it's food. Food. Those carbs. You know what I'm talking about. There aren't too many problems in life that a pint of ice cream cannot solve. Amen? <laughs> Let's just be honest. All in one sitting. Or is that just me? Um, remember, we're a church with no filters, all right? We're honest here. Food has an incredible power over us. We arrange our lives around food. Right? You know this is true. Don't lie to yourself. Everything we do is built around food. And it's not just a little bit of food. Oh, no, 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 no. When we eat, we eat, right? I mean, why have one hamburger if you can have two? Most fast food restaurants today have at least one combo that contains two sandwiches. I mean, sure, it's meant to be shared, but you know you're not sharing it. Two sandwiches and a combo as well as fries and a Coke. Challenge accepted, right? I mean, that's how we see it. We've been trained and we have been taught and tricked into believing that hunger should be avoided at all costs. And so we chase after food. We make sure that we are never hungry. And so we've allowed food to have power over us. To fast requires us to first acknowledge that something other than the Lord has power over our lives. 
And then we must choose to go without it in order to gain what the Lord has for us. See, it's in the sacrifice that we find the blessing. One pastor, one pastor said, and, and I don't know why this keeps going out, but one pastor said, I love this. He said, the way to abundance is through abstinence. Hear that, church. The way to abundance is through abstinence. It's the doing without to gain more. But maybe it's not food for you. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's technology that you use to avoid feeling your feelings. Right? Maybe it's something else in your life that you know has power over you. But something in your life has power over you. And you are called to fast from it. See, Christian fasting is replacing the worldly thing that has power over us, replacing it with prayer. It was during a time of fasting and prayer the Lord opened my eyes to Matthew chapter 6. It was when I denied myself and chose to feast with him that he showed me something that I am convinced he would have never shown me had I not been so hungry for him that I fasted and I prayed. When our hunger for the Lord is greater than our hunger for the world, we are ushered in to a grand feast where the heavens open up and the glory of the Lord is revealed and poured out. Fasting and prayer is the ultimate way of fighting back against that enemy we talked about last week. Remember what Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Some of you are trying to fight evil rulers of the unseen world by simply coming to church. Some of you are trying to fight evil rulers of the unseen world by simply knowing a couple of scriptures. And one of them is Jesus wept, which is the shortest one in the Bible. You feel good about yourself, you know at least one, right? But for many of us, what truly ails us is something much Deeper, It is the power of the evil one working in our lives. Now hear me, I know I need to wrap this up because we're going to go long. But I quickly want to look at something Jesus said in the ninth chapter of Mark. There's a demon-possessed boy. And the disciples are trying to cast out. Don't go there yet, Zoe. The, 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 the disciples are trying to cast out the demon. And, and they had success. They've had success casting out demons in the past. But not this time. Right? No matter what they try, the evil spirit in this little boy will not come out of him. And then, and then Jesus showed up, and Jesus tells the spirit to leave, and the spirit leaves. Just like that, he's gone. And the disciples asked the, the obvious question, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Now, I want you to see Jesus' response in verse 29. This is from the King James Bible. And he said unto them, talking about this evil spirit, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. See, some of you are desperate for Jesus to do something in your life. But the thing you need, you need Jesus to do can only happen if you fast and pray about it. Oh, you've tried prayer, but Jesus did not say this kind can only come forth by nothing but prayer or fasting. No, church, it is prayer and fasting. You need Jesus to move in your life in a big way, pray and fast. You need Jesus to set you free, pray and fast. You need your marriage to be saved, Pray and fast. You want to see your children saved? Pray and fast. You're scared about th that diagnosis you just got? Pray and fast. You're worried about your finances? Pray and fast. You're tired of, you're tired of some compulsion you have? 
praying and fast. You simply want to know Jesus more and more and more and more than pray and fast. The time is now. I want to invite Kesey Turner to come up real quick. Uh, I want Kesey to share with you her testimony as it relates to fasting. Uh, give her a second to define it and come on down. Y'all welcome Kesey as she comes down. She's nervous today. Just real quick, I just testify real quick how cool God is. Uh, we had moved into our house last year and we had boxes after boxes that loaded up. You know, piled up in our basement. There's a ton of boxes. And um, uh, Keesey and her husband, Lynn, they, uh, they run a, a junk removal business. And we just happened to find them online, I think, right? Somewhere online. And we, we call them up, and they come to the house, pick up our, our trash, and we start to talk. And I share that I'm a pastor, and, and uh, they, they share their, their, their believers. I'm talking about the church, and I invite them to church. And as a pastor, let's just, I'm just going to be honest with you. I invite people to church all the time. Most of them don't show up. Maybe it's me, I don't know, but it just happens. It's normal, right? And then so one Sunday, I'm standing at the door, and, and, and they show up, and um, we have gotten to know, know them over the months, had uh, coffee and breakfast with, them, breakfast with them a couple times. They were just an incredible couple who loved Jesus, and uh, Kesey has been fasting for a little while, and I just wanted her to share a little bit of her story with you. stand up because I don't want to start stuttering like <laughs> um, but I just first of all I just want to thank you and Pastor Lim for just you know inviting us because we feel so comfortable here like there's other churches that we didn't feel comfortable we felt like misfits so thank you to be honest five years ago I finally allowed God to become real to me I was raised in church from a little girl. I knew of God and knew of scripture, but only for my parents. I never knew God for myself. I never acknowledged God in anything. As I became an adult, I thought it was me who made my success. My business was great. I had great customers. I did, want, I did what I wanted and lived how I wanted, never acknowledging God in anything until my foundation fell from up under me. Everything that could go wrong, it went wrong. Marriage, kids, you name it. I found myself standing in the middle of my office alone, and I said, God, I want to see the God that saved the Israelites from Pharaoh. I need you to move in my life and make me whole. If God was real, I needed him to be real to me. I have seen people who would go to church because that's the right thing to do. Just sitting in church and going home, being spiritually beat down by circumstances. I didn't want to be that type of Christian. I wanted more. I didn't want to be just a church person. I wanted to see God move in my life. If I didn't see the Bible, Jesus, I thought, what am I doing this for? I needed to feel equipped to find my battles, to fight my battles. Whether it was in natural or spiritual, I needed guidance. I cried out to God and I said, I want you, I want to see the God I read about in the Bible. And this scripture came to my mind, Matthew 17, 21, and he said unto them, This kind comes. 
come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And Ezra 8.23, so we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. I never heard anyone teach on fasting, what fasting was, how to fast, and why we should fast. But something in me was driven to see the hands of God move. I knew in order for me to see the hands of God in my life, in my family life, I had to do something bold. I had to go deep. I had to do more than just be in church on Sundays. I had to seek God. I had to fast and pray. So that's what I did. I went on a 21-day water fast. My husband thought that I was crazy. At the same time, he thought he could save money for 21 days. (laughs) Because we wouldn't be going out to eat. But I knew I needed to go all out. I needed to see the power of God move in my life. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what to pray for. All I knew was that I needed something. Each day, I got up early, prepared my gallon of water, and started worshiping, thanking God for everything I could think of, repenting and praying. My hunger, my boredom, my TV time, all became the times I spent with Jesus. I learned a lot about myself, how I went to everything else about my problems, and God would be the last source. When he should have been the first that I went to, I learned how to let go of unforgiveness and forgive how to worship in spirit and truth. I learned that God always wanted to have a close relationship with me, that he loved me. This was the first time I ever said, I love spending time with you, God. And I love being in your presence, God. Before, I always thought spending time with God was boring. And I used to feel weird telling God I didn't know that I loved them. In my fasting, I said, I love you, God. And I didn't feel weird. Spending time with God wasn't boring. I could have waited. I couldn't wait to be in the in God's presence just to talk with him. I found myself saying, God, I don't want to be out of your presence. God restored me, and he saved my husband, money. My husband and I will be married for 24 years and this coming November. We won back our family, business, and life. Through the first fast, God taught me obedience, forgiveness, truth, repentance, and love. Time passed, kids grew, family extended, and life happened. A curveball hit coming from my doctor's appointment. Phone rang, and I picked up and heard a bad report about my health, saying that that there was a problem with my thyroid and that the biggest concern was cancer numbers were showing high numbers high numbers, and they needed me to see a specialist immediately. While, to get a gri- while getting a grip on that, the phone rung again. My middle son got into some trouble. It wasn't, it was just too much for me to bear. To make a long story short, God brought me back to that day in my office saying, I need you, God. And then I knew what I needed to do. 21 days of pure time with God. Needless to say, I'm here worshiping with you all. And God had to restore my son to be able to share his testimony one day. Through this fast, God has taught me discipline and how to hold on to his word, not letting anything keep me away from spending time with him. To my church family, I'm not perfect. I'm just a regular person that has bad days too. But thank God for Jesus. Thank God for his mercy, love, and grace and He has that he has for us. 
I'm just a person that wanted and wants more in my walk with God. And I didn't care what I had to do to just touch the hem of his garment, like the lady with the hemorrhaging issue. Jesus turned around and asked, who touched me? Because he felt that power left his body. That's what I want. I want to move the heart of God by my faith, obedience, discipline, and a pure heart to know him. I should just let you preach, Kesey. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. As I mentioned earlier, as a church, we have decided to fast for Holy Week from Sunday, April 10th to Sunday, April 17th. Now, when it comes to how to fast, I want you to know that we are not expecting you to do 21 days of just water, all right? Um, we're asking you just to go a week and not without any food. There are people who, who will do that, uh, but if it's your first time, we don't recommend it. And so I want to give you a couple options on, on how to fast. The easiest one would just be to fast for one meal every day of that week. Just skip one meal Again, don't just skip it. That would be dieting, right? You're going to fast for a meal, but when you fast from that meal, you're going to spend that time in prayer. And I want you to understand that, that your prayer time doesn't just have to be you on your knees talking. If you take an hour lunch, you talking to God uh, or listening, that's important too, uh, for an entire hour, right? Some of you are like, I can't pray for five minutes. I can't do an hour. I get that. All right, so I want to tell you what I do during my fasting time. I will go into my bedroom, and I will close the door, and I will put on worship music. And I will walk around my bedroom just worshiping our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as I worship him, and I pray through that worship. I thank him through that worship. I repent through that worship. So I will stand there, and I will walk around, and I will just be a fool for the Lord all by myself. I don't care what's happening anywhere else. Right then, right there in my bedroom, I am in the presence of my God, and I am worshiping, and I am bawling my eyes out, right? Just singing and praying. And so to understand that when you fast, you take that time to pray. It doesn't have to be just you praying for an hour. Put on some music. Worship him. Even if you don't like your own voice, sing out. Worship. And through that worship, pray. And whatever pops in your mind, pray about it. Pray about it. Let him, let the Holy Spirit... Put the thoughts in you that you need to pray about. So maybe it's one meal that you're going to fast from each day that week. Maybe physically you know that's all you can do. If that's you, that's okay. But I want to place a challenge upon our church today. If you're watching this online, I want to invite you to join with us in Holy Week and our fasting. But I want to challenge us for that week to fast from two meals Every day that week. Two meals. Maybe it's breakfast and lunch, and then you eat a really big dinner. And a really big early dinner, right? Maybe uh, that week you eat dinner like you're 75 at 4 p.m., right? right? That's fine. Or maybe you want to fast for breakfast and, 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 and dinner and, and then have a nice lunch dear. That's fine. But I want to challenge us. Hear that word. I understand I'm using that word. I want to challenge us to fast for two meals every day of Holy Week, beginning next Sunday. As you leave today, you're going to receive this little booklet. 
Uh, it's called Your Personal Guide to Fasting and Prayer, written by Bill Bride, who founded the Campus Crusade for Christ. This booklet will give you a better understanding about fasting. It will also tell you how to fast. There's an entire chapter on types of fast. But what matters more than anything is your heart and your willingness to be obedient. And so ask the Lord this week. First of all, Lord, do you want me to fast? Ask him. Lord, do you want me to fast? And then when he says yes, do it. Ask the Lord, how do you want me to fast? One meal, two meal, just water, just broth, just juices. What is it? And then when he tells you, don't go, oh, dead, go ahead. Say, yes, sir. Yes, my Lord. We're inviting you to join us in this because we believe the Lord has something amazing in store for each and every one of you. And plus, it's going to make Easter extra cool. Because we're going to gather here to worship our amazing Savior who conquered death, the one who invites us to the feast. And we're going to have an incredible worship. And then we're going to leave here. And we are going to have an incredible Easter feast. So go ahead and start planning your Easter lunch or your Easter dinner. Go all out because you're breaking your fast on Easter Sunday. And celebrate, church. So are you in? Maybe it's an easy yes for some of you. Maybe you're not so sure. That's fine. What I want to ask you to do is just take this booklet home and read it. It's super short. Every one of you can read it. Okay? Read it and just ask him, Lord, do you want me to fast? And if he says yes, do it. And remember, we're doing this with you. If you don't follow us on social media, follow us on social media. I'll be posting some things on Facebook and Instagram throughout that week to encourage you, things to pray about, so that you're not just sitting there twiddling your thumbs. So no, you're not alone. I can't get results for that. Every week, Siri wants to <laughs> preach. Church, taste and see that the Lord is good. But there is always more to taste and to see. Are you ready? For your more.